You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today is the day that everybody has been pestering me about. Because what everybody wants is a just straight-up cerebral analysis of the Green Bay Packers versus the Seattle Seahawks. And what I've been trying to say is, give me time. A week, I, I, I know we're all amped up, but a week is a long time. And if I dump everything on Monday, I have nothing for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I, you know, space it out a little bit. And plus, I've been doing this all year. So, I mean, I, I know we're all amped up, but it's kind of the same schedule as always. So the, the schedule as I see it in my mind is today, and we, we've done a little bit so far, but today is more the very specific look at Packers versus Seahawks. Tomorrow, we're going to look at tomorrow, which is there's two playoff games, and I want to talk about it. I know some of you don't like that. And if there's Packers news or some kind of Packers thought, or if you have a question, if you want to co-opt the show and say, no, you're talking about the Packers, throw questions. Um, I'm usually pretty good at, I, I want to answer all of them. Sometimes, though, I just don't put it in my notes, and then I forget, and I apologize. It happens, man. There's a, a billion things going on. So if I haven't answered your question and you want to remind me, feel free. I'm not going to be offended. But then tomorrow is going to be, you know, a look at those teams. And then Sunday, generally what I want to do is to make it a less cerebral, more hype kind of day. But I can never really promise that because it's more of just like a mindset. And I don't know what my frame of mind is going to be. And it's really hard to just scream, go, pack, go for 45 minutes. So I I don't know what Sunday is going to be. But that's the general layout. We got three days, man. We, We made it. Exciting times. But anyways, make sure that you join the Packernet Podcast Facebook group that is exploding. I'm only like five people away in my mock draft group from a thousand, but the explosion of the Packernet group is actually almost caught up. There was a time when that group had like 600 and we had like 50. Like less than a year ago, that was the situation. And now it's like 600 and something to 900 and something. So glad to see that that is caught up. By the way, I know it's blasphemy, and some people are starting to get a little angry about people talking about anything but Packers Seahawks, but um, I do have another group talking primarily about the draft. So if you are so inclined, it is facebook.com slash groups slash mock drafts. That's mock draft with an S. Actually, I need four more people in there to get to a 1,000, so that'll be cool. Also, make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Thank you, by the way, for all of you who have sent messages. Once you get in there, make sure you send a message. Doesn't matter what it says. Could say "Go Pack Go." Could say uh, "I'm craving ribs." Pretty much whatever you're feeling at the moment. Doesn't matter. There will be a robot that tells you to do random things that are, whether you choose to follow those instructions or not, is entirely up to you. But again, I'm trying to build out a resource, and it's kind of, 
I can tell it's pretty newer technology because it just doesn't really do what I want it to do. But we'll get there. I'm, that's, that's my goal for this year. Otherwise, if you want to support the podcast, make sure you leave me a five-star iTunes rating and review. Honestly, not sure how much that's helping, but it uh, feeds my ego, so I appreciate that. This is, you know, honestly, if I were to, and I'm planning on making an advertisement about this today, if I were to try to go into iTunes to determine, based on the ratings and reviews, what the best podcast was, I think this would be it. If you're looking at both the actual rating and the number of ratings, this, this is the one. And since you guys are the ones leaving the review, I want to say thank you for that. Otherwise, again, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. There is a link in the description. We are doing a giveaway at the end of this month. Where are we at right now? Um, essentially, how it works right now, you can jump in for as little as a dollar a month. In other words, a $1 donation will enter you into this and will get you into Patreon and help support the podcast. But we'll also enter you into the competition, the contest, I suppose, to win a free t-shirt which if you want to see what those look like, there's a link in the description to go to my store. Check out some of the designs. You'll be able to pick any one of those. And the way that it works is $1 is one entry. And it does not have to be Patreon. I've had several people give in different ways, Venmo, Facebook, Pay, PayPal, whatever. All of those things, no matter what, you're going to be entered in. And if we get to 50 uh, patrons, I will up that up to not just a t-shirt, but whatever. So if you want to grab a hoodie, a mug, whatever, you just tell me what you want and it'll get sent out to you. Make sense? Cool beans. Thank you, by the way, to everyone that's supporting the podcast. really does mean a lot. Obviously, I don't have to tell you that a lot of work goes into this. And there have been a lot of mornings being very, very tired. And it just feels kind of good to know that uh, we're heading in the right direction. Not today, though. No work today, which is why there's a little bit of a late podcast. Sorry for those of you that rely on it for your morning commute, but I get a couple extra hours of sleep. Feeling good! Alright, why don't we take a break, and uh, we'll just start digging into every little nuanced thing that I can find. So apparently this weekend there's some kind of a massive blizzard coming, and that's horrible, because I don't like that so much. I'm t- they're, they're talking about maybe like a foot of snow. I haven't seen snow since like October, and you're going to dump a foot on me. This, this is the life that, that we live up here. If you're like me and you want to escape, not necessarily right now, but just mentally, just have this vision in mind of, you know what, in a couple months, I'm going to be somewhere amazing, and the snow can't get me there, allow me to give you a suggestion. How about this spring, you get to follow your favorite baseball team to the Arizona Cactus League spring training. Great weather, great scenery, great food. And of course, lots of baseball. I'm talking 10 stadiums, 15 teams, in 75 degree weather kind of baseball. I'm talking 10 stadiums within 50 miles of Phoenix baseball. I'm talking meet the players, get autographs before games baseball. So plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. That's visitarizona.com slash spring training. And while I'm here trying to improve your life, let's work on throwing out some of those ratty old clothes with holes in them. Not the super comfortable one you wear just around the house. That's fine. But you know some of these things, it's it's just not appropriate to wear that out of the house. Holes in it, stains on it. Just looks sloppy, dude. You already know. Would it really kill you to upgrade a little bit? To have a little swagger? To open up your closet and be like, dang, look at you, closet. Looking good. And of course, I'm talking about Mack Weldon. The most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you're ever going to wear. I'm going to tell you right now, I got the day off. Guess what I'm doing? Today's a Mack Weldon day, son. I'll slip on the lounge pants. Mack Weldon t-shirt, Mack Weldon hoodie. 
I'll probably leave the gloves alone because that's just creepy walking around your house with gloves on. I might, I might do it a little bit, but you know, just for a little while. Remember, these things are made for performance. These things are made so that when, no matter what you're doing, whether you're lounging around the house or working out at the gym, these things are breathable. They've got the the silver clothing, not the color, but the actual silver that wicks away odor in the material. It looks good, it feels good, it performs well. And for listening to this podcast, you're going to get 20% off your first order. Just visit MacWeldon.com, enter promo code OVERTIME. Again, 20% off your first order. Just enter promo code OVERTIME when you visit MacWeldon.com. And if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you get to keep it. They'll still refund you, no questions asked. MacWeldon.com, use promo code OVERTIME for 20% off your first order. So I actually want to start off with a question I got from Matt on Instagram a long time ago. Um, he was asking about the sickness that's been going around. I haven't answered it yet because I haven't really had an answer. I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, as far as what's going on, it, it's just that time of year. And unfortunately, it's so weird because the team has been healthy all year. Not just sickness, but injury-wise. It's just there's been no problems. They get a bye week. They should be the healthiest they've ever been. This is the most injured the team has been. Maybe all year. So it's really weird. The, o- the only positive spin I'd like to put on this, sickness aside, is that these guys have not been sitting around eating Doritos. You don't injure your back and get all these, these new injuries because you're sitting around hanging out, you know, just kind of waiting on this thing to happen to you. They're going out and attacking it, and they've got a little banged up doing it. Um, they're also not the only team with sickness. I forget exactly who. I think one of the Vikings guys uh, has got some kind of a illness going on. It's just, again, it's just that time of year. Um, but overall, things are looking fairly good. Just looking at Thursday's, uh, the, the latest on this whole thing, um, Dexter, Wilna- Dexter Williams is still out with an illness. Tyler Lancaster did not practice with an illness. I don't believe that there are going to be players that don't play because they're sick. I could be wrong. Maybe this is a really, really bad flu, like 102 fever throwing up kind of thing. You're not going to go on the field. I mean, it's, it's just unsafe to do that. My assumption is that this is precautionary, right? You have symptoms and we need to squash this thing as much as we can. So you need to be resting, not overworking your, you know, lay in bed, medicine, get rid of this thing so you're ready to go so that you can play. Because if you're overworking yourself when you're sick, you're just going to make things worse. You need to kill this, which means you need your body's resources to kill this disease. And if you're burning up all your resources doing push-ups, you're not killing off the illness. That's my hope. Um, Danny Vitale still did not practice. Uh, Apparently he was limited Wednesday, did not practice on Thursday. Still supposedly just that knee. So I don't know if it got re-aggravated. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, Definitely would like him back. Mercedes Lewis didn't practice. That's veteran rest. And then uh, Kenny Clark is actually the one I'm most worried about. He's got a back injury. Didn't practice Wednesday, got back to practice Thursday. But it, apparently, the quote was he was very limited. And the, the biggest thing I'm scared about is back injuries are just one of those lingering things. Right? It, it's, it's sort of like a hamstring. It, it doesn't really matter how bad it is. It's just if you don't take care of it, this thing's just going to lock up on you. So it's one of those things where, you know, you can try it and maybe even fight through it. But you got to assume it's going to... I don't, I don't know. So, again, I think very limited. I don't know how much of that had to do with how much pain he has and how much of that is just we need to make sure that this is squashed because we need Kenny, not just for this game, but going forward. And we don't need him getting re-injured in this game to a point where we can't get him to play the 49ers or the Vikings or whatever because Kenny is a massive part of this this defense. I'm talking massive, 
not only does he provide pass rush probably better than anyone else aside from Zadarius, but the Packers have struggled against the run, and Kenny is one of the only guys on the inside with the exception maybe of Tyler Lancaster, who's really pretty stout against the run. Not every single week. It's been kind of up and down. But now you got Tyler Lancaster laid up. You got Kenny Clark laid up. We got some more like inexperienced guys like Kiki. You got penetrators like Dean. I mean, Dean's up and down too, but it's just, it's not a super style run defense without Kenny, and especially if you don't have Kenny or Tyler Lancaster. Especially when we're talking about a team that really likes and needs to be able to run the ball, which we'll talk about. I know they're banged up, but we still need to be able to execute and stop them from doing what they want to do, which is run the ball well. Uh, Looking at the Seattle Seahawks, they're obviously very banged up. They've been very banged up. As of right now, Ziggy Ansah is not practicing, which is a little bit surprising. He says he has a neck injury. I thought it was a stinger, which granted, those things, you know, sometimes they can be a little bit more serious. Usually it's something that, you know, maybe you're out for the rest of the game, but apparently this is kind of a bigger deal with his neck. And um, he did practice Wednesday. He's out uh, as of Thursday. Also not practicing, George Fant, Dwayne Brown, and Mike Upati, all offensive linemen. Dwayne Brown and Mike Upati have neck injuries. George Fant has a groin injury. Neither of them has practiced either day this week. They also had center Joey Hunt, uh, did not practice Wednesday. He was back limited uh, Thursday. Yesterday, defensive tackle Quinton Jefferson was out with an ankle injury Wednesday, limited on Thursday. Everybody else that was limited Wednesday is back in full, with the exception of Jadavian Clowney. Uh, He was limited Wednesday as well as Thursday. I'm guessing that is precautionary, just trying to make sure he's fully healthy because obviously he is a really big part of if the Seahawks win, it's going to be because of him, right? The the Seahawks are very similar to, I don't even know if I would say the Packers so much now. The the, The bigger point of these two teams kind of switching roles where it's the Seahawks offense versus the Packers defense, it's not as dramatic as it was back in the day where it was the Seahawks' super elite defense kind of thing, and a, a, a only offense, basically just Aaron Rodgers. However, the Seahawks have kind of become a team where they've got just a couple core players, and they need those couple core players to really step up. They've got a quarterback, they've got two wide receivers, they've got Jadavian Clowney, I mean, they've got other role players who can do stuff, but really, there's just a couple elite guys, and really, it might just be Russell Wilson and Jadavian Clowney as far as, depending on how good you want to talk about. And so for the Seahawks, it's incredibly important. I mean, it, it's, it would be similar to us not having Zadarius. Not that Jadavian's had a, as good a year as Zadarius, but super scary guy. But anyways, this offensive line, which is not a very good offensive line to begin with, um, if they're down Dwayne Brown, Mike Cupati, and George Fant, I don't exactly know what they do. I mean, Dwayne Brown's really the only one that's any good anyways, but I don't even know who their backup tackle option would be. It's going to have to be one of their guards, one of their guys that's not very good at being a guard sliding out to tackle. Because Brown, Fant, and Effetti are the only ones that I'm aware of that are tackles, aside from Chad Wheeler, who I don't even know if he's I don't know if he's taken a snap all year. I would assume they're going to want to grab you know one of their interior guys and kick him outside. I don't know. But that's that's pretty devastating for them if, if they can't get these guys healthy. Uh, Ziggy Ansah is also kind of a big deal, but really not that big of a deal, I guess. Because this is another issue of Jadavian Clowney and nobody. The highest graded via PFF pass rusher that they have on their team outside of Jadavian Clowney. Jadavian Clowney, by the way, has a 77 pass rush grade. The next highest is a 61.6. For those that don't know, 60 is perfectly average. If you step onto a football field and basically do nothing, you get a 60. I don't mean nothing in a negative sense, like somebody ran right past and you didn't tackle them. That would be a negative grade. I just mean like 
You're a wide receiver on a running play. Your grade will be a 60 because it doesn't matter. You're just staying in there, quote-unquote, blocking the guy, right? Plays away from you. It doesn't matter. Shaquem Griffin is the only guy with an even positive grade, that 61.6 pass rush grade. Ezekiel Ansah is in the 50s. Rasheem Green is in the 50s. LJ Collier, who isn't even playing their first-round draft pick, which Seattle loves to waste first-round draft picks because, you know, this elite GM, who's one of the best GMs in football, hasn't drafted any good players in, like, five years. But, yeah, he's garbage. And then uh, Brandon Jackson is in the 40s, so he's not very good. And it's the same as true with run defense. You've got Jadavian Clowney, who's again in the 70s. He's as good against the run as he is as a pass rusher. Then you have Shaquem Griffin, who has hardly played all year, is the only guy who's in the 60s. And by the way, the reason this guy is in the 60s is because he's hardly played this year. Everybody else is negative. Brandon Jackson, 50s. Rasheem Green, 50s. LJ Collier, 50s. Ezekiel Ansah, 40s. Again, Jadavian Clowney and nobody. And if Ezekiel Ansah is out, that's a benefit, because then they're not able to rotate, and they're not able to stay as fresh, but this is the Jadavian Clowney show. End of story. Now, along the interior, they've got a couple options. I wouldn't say elite, but they've got a a steady pile of guys that are at least pretty good against the run. Quentin Jefferson, Puna Ford, Al Woods. Again, this isn't Legion of Boom, but it's it's not just horrible, I guess. Still got Bobby Wagner, who's still a really good football player. Got Quandre Diggs at safety, nowhere near what they used to have, but it's something. Shaquille Griffin is a very good corner. He's their only good corner, but he's a good corner. So that, that's kind of what they've been relegated to. They got one guy per position. You know, they got their quarterback. They got their one tackle who's hurt. One corner, one safety, one linebacker, one edge rusher. Got their one tight end in Will Disley and pretty much nothing else. One good fullback, and by the way, some of these positions are only one-position things. They no longer have a really good running back. I know, you know, Travis Homer has, has done some stuff, and Marshawn Lynch can be scary and all that. I'm, I'm just going off of what they've really done this year. I'm not saying we don't have to worry about anybody and we're just going to win this game. Of course, this is going to be a hard game. I'm just saying based on things we legitimately should be scared of, Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch have not proven to be on the level of a Shaquille Griffin or a Dwayne Brown or a Quandre Diggs or a Bobby Wagner. Um, And then wide receiver is is maybe the one area where they've got two guys. Uh, Tyler Lockett is legit. DK Metcalf is coming on strong at the second half of the year. So that's that's really a massive question mark in this game. Is have these last few games, and by the way, his last game was elite. Talking best wide receiver in football, which, I mean, super small stuff. How many games were there? But even if there was a, a regular season, I mean, that's that's the kind of grade that is the number one overall. I mean, just a dominant, dominant performance. Now, let's also keep in mind, PFF does not account for how good the players are across the field. And Philadelphia is well-renowned for having one of the worst cornerback groups in all of football. But even aside from that, he's he's had some growth. There's definitely some some growth there. So I guess we can maybe say they've got two wide receivers. Which actually is kind of interesting if, if we're looking at the grades. They're similarly graded. And understand DK Metcalf got off to a slow start. So it's kind of the, the question is, is it Tyler Lockett into a lesser degree DK Metcalf? Or has it already become DK Metcalf into a lesser degree Tyler Lockett? And that's a scary situation. If DK Metcalf is right now their number one wide receiver, and I'm not talking about target. I'm just talking about in terms of talent and how lethal the person is. We're all in trouble. That is not a, a great scenario, especially with Russell Wilson playing the way that he's playing. So, and anyways, that's sort of the, the I guess, overview of their team, especially with injuries, to kind of give you a, a broad sense of what they bring to the table. 
But I also want to zoom in a little bit, so let's kind of work our way backwards, starting with Russell Wilson, because I have sort of a question about Russell and his uh, overall ability, I guess. He clearly has a floor, let me say that. He has not gone below average, again, referring to PFF grades. In fact, the last game I can find where he was in the 40s, which 50s generally below average, 40s would be a bad game, was Week 9 against the Washington Redskins in 2017. So the guy's got a floor. And I don't want to overreach on this, and it seems somewhat self-explanatory, but there definitely seems to be a correlation between Russell Wilson being this magic Russ and good and bad defenses. It's not perfect because he's had very good games against very bad defenses, but just looking back over the last couple weeks, uh, Philadelphia, he had a good game, and he looked good. But again, ridiculously horrible corners. The week before that, in Week 17 against the 49ers, obviously a very good defense, he graded out his average. The week before that, he graded out his average. That was against Arizona. They have one of the worst defenses in all of football. So that would just be more or less an outlier. And it's also a divisional game, so stuff, kind of crazy stuff happens. Prior to that, he had a good game, but it was against Carolina, who I just talked about yesterday. Look at how bad they are at allowing points. That defense was a disgrace. Prior to that, he had a very, very good game against the Rams, but... Although the Rams have a decent enough defense, two of his three best games came against the Rams. In fact, two of, or was it four of his five worst games came against divisional opponents, Arizona and uh, the 49ers. So it's really just a matter of, and we see that in the division, which is why I'm relatively comfortable with the Packers beating the Vikings. There just seems to be, some teams just kind of have other teams' numbers. We saw it with the Packers and Bears all those years. How Cutler played against the Packers and how the Bears just... It didn't really seem to matter how good they were. The Packers kind of just had them down. Same with the Lions for many years. And now it's kind of the reverse. The Lions kind of have the Packers number. Yes, we won, but obviously it was close. And nobody wants to talk about that, obviously. It's just that the Packers are bad. That's why they almost lost. No, the Lions just kind of play the Packers really well. And the Packers play the Vikings pretty well. And apparently in this, it's the Seahawks, or the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers have the Seattle Seahawks number. The Seahawks have the Rams number. So he did play well in that game, but if we don't look at that, the game before that, Minnesota, do they have a good or bad defense? It's a good defense, so what do you think happened? He graded out in the 60s again, average. Game before that, Philadelphia, terrible corners. How do you think Russ did? 82, playing out of his mind. Fantastic game. Game before that, San Francisco. We know the score, right? Worst game he played all year was against San Francisco. Divisional opponent and very good defense. Before that was Tampa, good or bad defense? Bad. Do you think he played well? Yep, very good game, 87. Game before that, Atlanta, good or bad? Really bad. How did he do? 88. Game before that, Baltimore, good or bad defense? Great defense. How did he do? 60s again. So, uh, again, it's he's got a floor, but what I guess what I'm trying to illustrate is this elite can't be stopped. If it wasn't for Lamar Jackson, he would be the... The no question, well, I guess Drew Brees would raise a lot of questions, but he would be in the conversation, right, as the best quarterback in football this year. But what I want to point out is he's not infallible. And I think sometimes we, we forget that. We see certain people as, oh, no, I'm so terrified. Look, first of all, people have bad days, like Russ against the Arizona Cardinals. I- inexplicable. Why? Why can't you play against this team that's terrible? Twice this year, by the way. Russell Wilson, not just the team, Russell Wilson played poorly. But also, there, there is no question that when a defense rises up, we saw with the Minnesota Vikings, with the San Francisco 49ers, with the Baltimore Ravens, when good defenses can stand up to Russell Wilson, he kind of backs down. Here's another thing I want to point out. I want to kind of overlap this a little bit. Because everything kind of plays off of everything else. 
This is a run-first team. The biggest weapon isn't their running backs, it's Russell Wilson, even when they had Chris Carson. The Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett to DK Metcalf trio and Will Disley at tight end, that, that's more something to be afraid of than this garbage offensive line and their ability to run, although they do it well. The point is, though, when they're running well, they're throwing well. And when they're running and throwing well, they're winning football games. It's just, it's just the rhythm that they can get into. But let's, let's take a look at this. Rushing yards on offense. When they've cracked 145 yards, which seems like a ridiculously high number, but for the Seahawks, more than half of their games are included in this. They're undefeated. Undefeated when they've cracked 145 yards. When they have not gotten to 145 yards, which again is a very large number, they're 3-5. and five. When they can't not just run the ball, I'm not just talking about crack 100 yards, when they can't absolutely dominate on the ground, they lose. The exceptions being the one Cardinals game, which it's the Cardinals, the Cincinnati Bengals game, because, you know, it's the Bengals. And by the way, they won that game by one point. They only ran for 72 yards, almost lost to the Bengals. The only other game they won was the Philadelphia Eagles. It was the least amount of yards they ran for, 64 yards. Why did they win? Why did they win 17-9? to I wonder if it has anything to do with Jadavian Clowney drilling his helmet into the back of Wentz's head and knocking him out of the game. Now, it's not a guarantee, but I can tell you right now, if I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, this is what scares me more than anything. The fact of the matter is, our running backs are donezo. They're gone. They're out of here. And against the Philadelphia Eagles, on a team that really wants to run the ball, we were only able to muster 64 yards. I can tell you fairly confidently that if it wasn't for Carson Wentz going out, they win this game. Because again, the only teams that have lost to the Seattle Seahawks when they can't get to 145 yards. And by the way, let me elaborate. It's really about 150 that they want to get to. 145 yards they ran for against Tampa Bay, they won in overtime. 147 yards they they ran against the 49ers, they won in overtime. If you don't count overtime, if you're talking just regular time, they have not won a... They, they're undefeated at 150. 150 is the benchmark for them. They need to run. They need to run a lot. That's a really, really, really high bar. And again, they couldn't even, they barely crossed 50 last week. This is a massive concern, and it is a massive opportunity for the Packers, and it is a massive reason why we need Kenny Clark back. If we can hold them to 64 rushing yards, and I'm not saying we will, they don't stand a chance. This is not the Carson Wentzless Eagles. Better quarterback, better wide receiver, better running back, better offensive line. They've got better tight ends. That's, that's pretty much it. And the offensive line is probably pretty close, but still. And this is going to be in Lambeau? Granted, that was in Philadelphia, but still. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't believe Seattle's going to keep the Packers to 17 points in Lambeau Field. I just don't think that's going to happen. They have to find a way with Marshawn Lynch, who looks really bad. I know everyone's giving him all the credit in the world, and it's possible Beast Mode gets activated at some point along the way. He's looked like garbage, with the exception of that one like touchdown run where he kept pushing. Because really, that's all he is. He's a straight upright runner that just runs chest first into people and then drives his legs. And yes, Travis Homer, blah, 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 blah. 64 yards is an abomination for this team that needs to be able to run the ball. And so while we're all sitting here focused on DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson, which is a big concern, the fact of the matter is this is an offense that is predicated on being able to run the ball. And if they can't, they're in trouble. And the Packers are actually relatively similar. The bar is set a little bit lower, but the Packers have not lost a single game when they've crossed 118 yards rushing. Not one. They're 9-1 when they can crack 100 yards. 
they're four and two when they're under 100 yards. Which I mean, they only lost three games, so it's hard when you have a 13 and three team to find correlations because they're all wins. But really, I mean, let, let's face it: they, the team just when when they're able to run the ball on you, it's kind of just game over. And that has been the case. Once if if the Packers can crack 120-ish yards, that means what what that means is Aaron Jones is rolling. And when Aaron Jones is rolling, the Packers don't lose. It's not as true with passing yards. It's just not. I mean, it is true that if you can shut down Aaron Rodgers, we're going to lose. That's 100% true. We lost both games where Aaron Rodgers couldn't even get to 150 yards. The Chargers, he got 139. The 49ers, he got 81. If you can completely shut that down, where we can't even get to 150, which is ridiculous, by the way, then yeah, of course we're going to lose. Every, every team is going to lose if you can't get to 150. Russell Wilson only had one game under 150. Guess what? They lost. That's going to be true across the board. Here's the thing, though. The second most yards Aaron Rodgers threw for was 414 against the Eagles, and we lost that game. So for the Eagles and for the Packers, the team that's able to just dominate on the ground is going to have much more success. The question is, which team is more likely to be able to do that? Well, the Green Bay Packers are 24th in yards per attempt. That's not great. And they obviously played terrible against the Detroit Lions. But let's just say we remove that outlier. Because it's the Lions, and the Lions play well against the Packers. They held the Vikings to 57 yards, the Bears to 96. The Redskins got 121, but then before that, Saquon Barkley got 95 yards. They have the ability, with an offensive line that is not very good, with running backs that are just not very good, of course they have that ability. They have the ability to keep the one thing the Seahawks need in check, and that's to be able to move on the ground. And so I really want to think about this like the Minnesota Vikings game. That's kind of what I see this as. This is a, I don't want to say less good Vikings team, but in a way it kind of is, but with a better quarterback and worse wide receivers. Right? It, it is. It's sort of like a worse Vikings team, but with a better quarterback. That's the best way I can describe this. But they want to be able to win on the ground. We need to do to them the same thing the Vikings did. The Val- Vikings want to get Dalvin Cook rolling, and the Packers have done a great job shutting him down. And as a result of doing that, guess what? Packers have been able to beat the Vikings twice, including on their own home turf, which is, as I went through this big, long diatribe, I don't remember the exact episode, but if you can find it, very in-depth about the history of the Vikings at home, they don't lose at home. Especially when you consider the turnovers, that was basically a moment in history. Forget the stadium, I'm talking in in Zimmer's tenure, never has that happened before. But the Packers did what they needed to do. Forget the turnovers, forget they want to be able to run the ball, we're going to take that away from them. We have to do that here as well. And to further elaborate on my point about it's it's not about passing, it's about running, Russell Wilson threw for over 400 yards once they lost that game. And that, that actually seems to be a fair, fairly strong correlation. You only throw the ball a ton of yards when things are getting out of hand. When you're behind, you throw a lot of yards. Being able to dominate on the ground is usually a good sign. You're controlling the clock, you're controlling the game, and you're, you don't have to run away from running the ball because you're losing. So keep the rushing yards low. That's going to be a very, very promising thing. Since we're on the uh, the track of, of correlations, let's also talk about turnovers. Now, offensive turnovers for the Seattle Seahawks makes no difference. Interestingly enough, uh, I think the most they turned over the ball was four times against the San Francisco 49ers, and they won that game. There just isn't any correlation anywhere. There's no number I can point at and say this is where things get out of control for them. Their offense has been able to overcome that. Defensively, however, entirely different story. When they get to two turnovers, they are 8-1. and one. Less than two turnovers, they're 4-4. Four and four. So really what, what this sounds like to me is a fundamentally sound game. This isn't a shootout game. This is make the tackles, protect the football, and run the ball. That's it. And this is, this is by the way, this has been the formula for the Packers all year when they're successful. You don't need 40-yard passes. Quick passes, 
run the ball, protect the football, play defense. That, I mean, that's that's a formula for success no matter what the team is. Now, whether or not the Packers are going to do that or if they're going to say, hey, look, they're giving us a look that we like and we're going to try to take shots, you know, I, I have no idea what the plan is. For all I know, they've had two weeks to sit back and think about how they're going to complete 40-yard passes. I don't know. But I think the formula, not just for this game but going forward, is to embrace what the Packers do best, and that is just to play, keep keep everything really in tight. Keep it in tight, man. Don't need to spread everything out and launch the ball and all this crazy stuff. It's same with defense. Just keep the game in front of you. Don't allow the big plays. Make the tackle that's right there. Keep a, a steady stream of pressure coming. And on offense, just grind it down, man. It's okay if you get like four, five, six, seven first downs on your way down there. It doesn't. You don't have to score in three. You don't get more points for getting there in less tries. It's okay to grind down the clock. It's okay to grind down their defense. I promise you, that's not going to kill you. It's okay to let our defense rest on the sideline for a few minutes without going three and out because you want to throw four rocket balls in a row and flip the field over. But anyways, the order that I'm doing things in isn't the most coherent because I went down that rabbit hole. But let's take a break here. I want to come back and go back to what we were doing before and looking at the position groups and kind of going a little bit more in depth. So we looked at Russ and the fact that he's infallible, talked about a couple different things, how they need to run the ball, etc., etc. We'll come back, look a little bit closer at their position groups and what we can glean from that. Um, there may not be a break because apparently this has just been skipping over, but again, it doesn't matter. I'm just putting in markers. If there's no break, then sweet, we'll just get right into it. But uh, talk to you in a second or so. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so let's, let's take a look at Seattle's offensive line. As of right now, PFF has Seattle's offensive line over the course of the year third from the bottom. The only teams being worse being the Chargers and the Miami Dolphins. Run blocking, they are much better, um, but by much better I mean not as horrible. They have them 19th. So, I mean, this, this is already known that they're not very good at stuff, but just to give you sort of a bigger picture. If we flip over to Football Outsiders, they have Seattle as the 24th best uh, pass-blocking offensive line having given up, by their count, 48 sacks and an adjusted sack rate of 7.9, which is essentially meaning roughly 8% of the time when Russell Wilson drops back, he's getting sacked. We also have to take into account, because this is a pretty serious question, 
the threat of Russell Wilson's ability to escape. That's obviously built into this. So the offensive line is actually much worse, and it's probably what the discrepancy is. How many times he's been sacked compared to how bad the offensive line is isn't a direct correlation, because sometimes the offensive line mess up, messes up and Russell escapes. So just looking at sacks via uh, football outsiders and their sack rate and all that, 24th. So he's getting sacked a lot. And then again, PFF looking at the offensive line and how good of a job they do, third from the bottom. Now, the problem with all of this is that we're not necessarily talking about the current offensive line for the Seattle Seahawks. George Fant, for example, this is kind of a big deal, and I had mentioned this earlier. George Fant is their current left tackle, but he's also currently injured. He has stepped in currently now for Dwayne Brown, who is a fairly talented tackle, who's also out. I shouldn't say out. He's, he's, he's been out since week 15. But overall, if you look at Fant, it's his grade is average. The problem is if you look at him on a week-to-week basis, he was easily one of the worst tackles in football for about six weeks straight. Since week 13, though, he's actually dialed it up. Now, he played terribly against Philadelphia, but we're talking 17, 16, 15, 14, and 13. He had a grade in the 70s for pass blocking and 60s and 70s for run block. I don't know what the deal is with him because he literally didn't have one game above even 61 as a run blocker. Pretty much the entire, I mean, not pretty, literally the entire year. It's fairly true with pass blocking, although it's kind of either he's really good or he's really awful. But he's just been locked in since week 13. So again, if he's out, that's huge. Because they finally got this George Fant guy to really step up and be a pretty good football player. Consistently. And now it's just, well, what are we going to do? If we continue continue on with guys like uh, Upati being out, they've got Jamarco Jones coming in at left guard. No such luck for Jamarco. He's never really been a good run blocker. He did have a stretch from week, let's see, 12, 13, 14, and 15. However, three of those games, he had single-digit snaps, and then in week 15, he had 14 snaps. The first time he had an opportunity to be a full-time player, since that time, 57 snaps against the Cardinals, he had a pass-blocking grade of 17. He allowed two sacks single-handedly in that game. This guy is a liability. And so, again, I say... Mike Yupati being out, which is not a guarantee, he's been out this week, is a pretty big deal. Not that Mike Yupati is even a very good football player, but it's the replacement level is so low. And then finally, they got Joey Hunt, who right now is playing in place of Justin Britt, their center, who is on IR. He's had some success pass blocking, terrible run blocker. I mean, it's just, it's kind of just down the line. DJ Fluker, not a good football player. Another first round guy. Plenty of first round draft picks here. Not a good football player, though. And then Jermaine Effetti. I mean, a lot of these, it's weird. A lot of these guys have kind of stepped it up toward the end. Even their center was horrible at the beginning of the year and sort of stepped up as a pass blocker. But it's very, very intermittent. Really has had four or five good games the whole year. But they're all clustered toward the end of the year. So, again, the the biggest thing is going to be the injuries to these players. If you get some of these guys back, it goes from they are in massive trouble to they can get by. Because, I, again, I don't even know who their tackle is going to be if Fant and Brown are both out. That'll be very interesting, and we got to see what the injury report is going forward. If, if all three of these guys, Fant, Yupati, and Brown, are out for Friday, that's, that's pretty serious business. Defensively off the edge, even in terms of snap counts, it's Jadavian Clowney and everybody else. If you just look at the snap counts, for example, Jadavian Clowney off the edge, 34 pass rush snap. After that, you got Jerron Reed, who's an interior guy. Quentin Jefferson, who had most of his snaps on the interior because they run kind of like the Packers, got a lot of inside-outside guys. 
but he had 25 snaps. Puna Ford is interior. Rasheem Green, uh, uh, the one guy that was designated as left end, the other end in this game, only 18 snaps off the edge. So it's kind of like if you had Zadarius sitting on the edge all the time, and then you just had this constant rotation with Fackrell and Preston and Gary, and sometimes guys go inside, sometimes they're outside, and you're just kind of shuffling around, but Zadarius is just coming off the edge all the time. And I know they do move Jadavian inside, but in terms of the one guy that is consistently coming after the quarterback, it's Jadavian. Everybody else is a rotational person. The other thing that is worth noting, and I don't want to, similar to Russell Wilson, I don't really want to downplay this as far as how talented Jadavian Clowney is, but I also don't want to give him more credit than he is worth. He did have six pressures in this game in the wild card game. And I think a lot of people, similar to seeing Russell Wilson go all, all over the place, saw Jadavian Clowney kind of go off and think, man, this guy's a freak. The problem is against San Francisco, two. Against the Rams in week 14, which is the last time he played before that, he had zero. And, and yes, he had 22 attempts in that game. It's not like, well, that's when he got hurt. No, no, no. Zero pressures on 22 attempts. The game before that in Minnesota, 35 attempts, two pressures. The last time PFF gave him a good pass rush grade was week 10 against San Francisco when he had 11 pressures, one sack, four hits, and six hurries. The guy right now is credited via PFF, which ten- generally is high in sacks, four sacks. Four on the season. The guy's played 14 games. He has four sacks. So again, I'm not trying to downplay him, but let's not act like this is the best pass rusher in football right now. He's going to generate some pressure. There's no question about it, but he's not a Bosa. He's maybe like a lesser Khalil Mack, which is to say a guy that has talent and is going to be hard to contain, but the statistics just really aren't there. And I mean lesser Khalil Mack. Some of the other guys in terms of pressure, Jerron Reed, another interior guy, also has four sacks. However, his sack totals are extremely high in terms of his percentage because he's operating at a 7% pressure rate, which is trash. So he's not really bringing it. As far as against the run, he's just average. So he's a non-factor. And this isn't just a nobody. He had 48 snaps last week. He's going to be playing a lot. Quentin Jefferson, another outside-inside guy. 6'4", 291, 495 speed. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's one of those guys. He's operating at 10%, which is fine. Six sacks on the season, 10% pressure. He had two sacks this past week, which was a pretty solid effort. Again, we're looking at a guy, you look at the Seahawks and you think, man, look at all these pressures, look at all these sacks. This is an outlier, however. Between weeks 2 and week 17, do you know how many sacks he has? The exact same amount, two. He had week 1 with two sacks, Week last week with two sacks. In between there, two sacks ever. So don't expect a two-sack game from Quentin Jefferson. Again, 10% of the time he's getting pressure, that's... That's maybe what you would call average. It's not bad, but it's on the verge of bad. Rasheem Green, five sacks, getting pressure 8% of the time, which again, is anything below 10 is not good. 8% is not good. This guy's an edge rusher. He's not a, a, a big, large interior nose tackle. 6'4", 279, he's firing off the edge, and that's it. He's getting home 8% of the time. That's just not good enough. And then Ezekiel Ansah, maybe 9%. He's injured. He's 30. He's old. He's always hurt. Another example of a first-round guy that's just not offering anything. The Seattle Seahawks are loaded up with first-round talent on the defensive and offensive lines. The talent, though, outside of Jadavian Clowney just is not there. Puna Ford has one sack. Now, Puna is 5'11", 310. He's a nose tackle. You don't expect it. But the, this is what I'm trying to get across. He's a good enough run defender, really struggling as a tackler. He gets pressure 3% of the time. When he's on the field, he's not getting to Aaron Rodgers. They're playing the run. Uh, moving out to their defensive backs, if you look at their corners again, it's basically Shaquille Griffin and nobody. But even Shaquille, 
Uh, first of all, he's been out for a while. I mean, he's been back for two weeks, but he was out for, uh, let's see, he was out for a couple weeks, whatever, weeks 15 and 16. But when he came back in week 17, that was the worst game he's had all year. In terms of his statistics, he does not have a single interception on the season. He does have 13 pass breakups, which is a lot, but hasn't had a pass breakup since week 12 against Philadelphia. So he's been in a bit of a rut. Granted, the the game against Philadelphia was incredible. Zero targets, zero receptions, zero yards, passer rating of zero. So I don't know if that was part of the game plan that we're just not going to even target him or what, but he just, there was just nothing. So he's the one guy to be concerned about. He's really only had one day where he's given up a ton of yards. That was week nine against Tampa. He gave up 125 yards on eight receptions, 11 targets. Otherwise, though, um, you know, hasn't had a lot of those King Jair giving up 200-yard type games. Trey Flowers is the other. He's sort of their number two guy. Trey is nowhere near uh, on that same level. He's not a super great corner. In fact, he has a 50 overall coverage grade, which is to say he's it's pretty bad. He also really hasn't given up a ton of really gigantic games. Week 1 was the only one, 170 yards. Outside of that, week 12 against Philly, 13 receptions, 9 yards, or 9, 13 targets, 9 receptions, 99 yards. He's got 3 picks and 3 pass breakups on the season. Definitely somebody that can be taken advantage of. He's probably not giving up big yardage, which I'm, I'm thinking probably has something to do with the safety play. Right? You give up big-time yards on big-time plays, and so I don't think that's exactly what Seattle's allowing. Safeties, there's a ton of talk about Quandre Diggs and you know, Seattle, Seattle Seahawks fans talking about how he's this great elite player. He has been pretty solid, but it's been up and down. Right? He had a, a two-interception game against L.A., and that's when everybody blew up. Like, dude, this guy is just out of control. It's unbelievable. He's a, he hasn't had that or a pass breakup since. Granted, he hasn't allowed any receptions either, but safeties don't usually get targeted directly all that often anyways. But beyond that, as far as his run defense and his tackling, he's he's actually kind of really bad at it. So he's been pretty solid in coverage, there's no question. Way better than he ever was with Detroit. He's he's found his groove in Seattle as a cover guy, but uh, against the run, he offers no help whatsoever. Bradley McDougald is the other guy. He offers nothing in terms of anything. Uh, This past week against Philadelphia, six targets, six receptions, 43 yards. That's a lot for a safety. In fact, he's given up receptions in every game except week eight against Atlanta. So, I mean, he is the strong safety, so he plays a little closer to the line. He might be playing some linebacker in slots, so maybe that's why he's getting targeted. But he's also given up a lot of passes. In fact, with the exception of, let's see. So since week 13, the reception to target ratios, two out of three, four out of five, four out of five, one out of two, three out of three, six out of six. That's how many were caught. He's not disrupting any passes. If he if if a, a ball is going in his direction, it's getting caught with the exception of about one pass a game, except these last two weeks when it's three for three and six for six. So he's not doing much. And then finally, it's taking forever. Bobby Wagner's Bobby Wagner. There's really nothing to glean here. He's as good as you think he is. Just a perfect tackler. He's really not going to miss very many tackles. He's missed one tackle since week 12. Zero in week 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and in the wild card. Didn't miss a single tackle. Maybe not the best cover guy in the world, which is maybe one area where he can be exploited. I don't know by who, but hopefully by somebody. But against the run, I mean, the guy's just as stout as he's ever been. K.J. Wright is also a good tackler, but he's just really not what he used to be. This is actually a pretty big down year. It's, in fact, via PFF, the worst year he's ever had, and that's since 2011. So his heyday was back in the Legion of Boom days, you know, 2015, 2016. He's never really gotten back there. So again, he's a solid tackler, but run defense, pass rush, coverage, he can't really do much. He's got a 61 overall grade. K.J. Wright carries with, you know, that it's a name that you would think, oh man, he's a pretty good player. He's not that good. 
So overall, in the grand scheme of things, with the Green Bay Packers offense against their defense, Adams and Griffin is going to be a pretty big matchup. It's not going to be easy, but I think Griffin is the kind of guy that I think Adams can pluck a couple away from him. And I don't know if he's going to be shadowing. Very rarely does anyone get shadowed 100% of the time. So Adams is going to have plenty of opportunities. But the real big opportunity is going to be the other guy. Alan Lazard against Flowers. Even getting Jimmy and some of these guys going up against these linebackers because they don't have linebackers they can cover. They have uh, Diggs who can cover, but Diggs has a lot of responsibility. Because McDougal, the other safety, he can't cover. So Diggs, yeah, he can cover. So what are you going to do? You can keep him back? Probably single high safety, right? I mean, you you don't want Diggs covering your tight ends. You're going to shadow Diggs over to Adam's side? That's going to open up a massive bunch of opportunity for guys like Lazard. And so at the end of the day, I think the Packers should be able to run the ball successfully. Now, obviously, there's the opportunity, there's a possibility the Packers just fall apart. I'm just talking about the Packers and what they should be able to do. They should be able to run the ball. They should be able to get the ball to Adams, which they've been able to do successfully, especially when they just focus on getting those five-yard little out routes, whatever. Adams can dominate that. Little slant routes, this, that, or the other, you know, quick off the line. Just he's going to beat them in those first few seconds, get them the ball. Alan Lazard and the tight ends and these other wide receivers are going to have opportunities against tight ends, safeties, and corners that can't cover. Again, they have Diggs as the only other guy outside of Griffin that can do anything in terms of coverage, and he's just one guy. They should, as I said, be able to run the ball. They've got Wagner, who's pretty solid. They've got Clowney, who's pretty good at it. But that's about it. So, I, you know, I don't want to say that this defense is bad, but they, they, there's opportunities. There's plenty of opportunities here for the Packers to be able to do pretty much whatever they want as long as they play smart, solid, fundamental football. If they want to stand in the pocket and launch rocket balls, Clowney's going to get home. And that's where you get Diggs and everybody else, these safeties involved with these corners out in deep, you know, the deep parts of the field. And that's where the the advantage goes to the Seattle Seahawks. On the flip side, this offensive line is in a lot of trouble. Uh, You know, hopefully Clark can play. But even if he can't, the the Smiths, Fackrell, Gary, as much as, you know, maybe they don't, not as good as the Smiths, obviously. But they're all in a lot of trouble because outside, inside, and then you bring Martinez on a blitz. You bring some of these other, this offensive line is in trouble. The biggest thing that they're going to be able to do, especially with no running back, is drop back and pass, despite the fact that they need to be able to run. So here's my vision for the defense. Stop the run first. I know Wilson and Metcalf and Lockett are what scares everybody. I want King on DK Metcalf. I've been saying all year Kevin King was built for one guy, and that guy is DK Metcalf. His Everything about Kevin King was just built to play DK Metcalf. This is an opportunity to prove people like me wrong. This is your game, dude. This, if you've ever had a game that had Kevin King written on it, it's this game. Kevin King shutting down DK Metcalf. He was born for this moment. The guy is nothing but size, speed, and physicality, and that's what you needed against DK Metcalf. And I've also said I've never seen anybody beat Kevin King on a go route. Now, you know, depending on how much maneuvering Kevin King might fall or whatever, but I'm just talking about just running in a straight line, jump ball. Kevin King's got that all day. I think with Tyler Lockett in the slot, Tremont Williams, one of the most underrated corners, one of the most underrated players in football, certainly one of the most underrated players on the Packers team, has been our best corner all year. So when Lockett goes in the slot, I think Tremont's going to be able to handle that. And if it's a two-wide thing with Lockett outside, this is a perfect opportunity for Jair to step back up because he's been sliding a little bit. And this is, I mean, this is a perfect matchup. King was built for Metcalf. Alexander was built for Lockett. That's all there is to it. This, this game is tailor-made for the Green Bay Packers. The Seattle Seahawks are a team that are tailor-made for the Green Bay Packers. The Packers thrive against teams with terrible offensive line. 
with the exception of the Chargers, obviously, which was just a ridiculously horrible game. But that's when they're at their best, being able to pressure the quarterback. They need to be able to run the ball. Seahawks can't stop the ball. The, the, the wide receivers for the Seattle Seahawks are a smaller, shiftier, speedier guy and a big, tall, strong, straight-line guy. That's exactly Kevin King and Jair Alexander to a T. Everything about this is in the Packers' favor. There's no reason they should lose this game. I mean, there are reasons, but really there's no reason. This is, if I were to construct a team that was good but kind of matched up nicely with the Packers, it would be the Seattle Seahawks to a T. So, you know, took us a while to get here, but I want to make sure we get the full picture of what these guys, not just our big picture, but what they have been. Not just Seattle has a bad offensive line. How bad? Well, here's how bad. And also, if these guys don't play, they're in big trouble. You know, Russell Wilson's a top guy. Yeah, but how about the fact that they need to run the ball and can't run the ball and haven't been able to run the ball? How about the fact that they should have lost last week? That that was essentially a fluke because they could only muster 64 yards. And if it wasn't for a hurt Wentz, I'm telling you, we would be playing uh, the, the Philadelphia Eagles right now. Which is not, by the way, and, I, and I've already said this. I said it prior to the Seahawks winning. The Seattle Seahawks, I think, are a better team than the Eagles. I think we are better suited to beat the Seahawks than the Eagles. This game is, is made for the Packers. Play smart, fundamental football. Play your style of football at home. And for Packer fans, get as loud as you possibly can. And this game is entirely in the bag. I'm not talking about dominant. I'm not going there anymore because the Packers don't win games by 10 or 15 points. I'm just saying if you play your game, we're going to come out of this with a win. We're moving on to the NFC Championship game. That's it. And that's all I got. I got to get out of here. It's three and a half hours I've been making this ridiculous 50-minute podcast. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.